I finished the book Collision Theory by by my friend Adrian Todzaniga, and it was wow, just blown away, and just felt I needed to record this right away, and you know, hopefully that emotion comes through, and it's just uh, you know, you know, really good art reflects on. I guess uh, we see what's going on in our own lives and we find a bit of that in there. And there's a lot of parallels. One of the um, story threads is he's, um, you know, the death of of the character's mother. And I just look at that with, with the recent, pretty recent death of my father and just, you know, how we deal with these losses. Um, you know, I look at this with this podcast. It's, um, you know, very much as my friend Matt Hodell has said, it's, it's a, a bit of a journal, so I'm just, uh, you know, giving a lot of insight in here. And, uh, you know, I did not expect the ending to be what it was. It Just amazing, amazing literature. Um, you know, it had some funny parts. It, uh, you know, had some parts where it caused me some anxiety with uh, related to his main character and a project that he was working on, uh, just connecting to the world. This is theory on, on love and uh, relationships and things like that. So I'm just like, uh, I mean, it's, it's it's really amazing to read a work, to to you know experience art that creates this level of emotion, and it just really allows us to reflect upon ourselves and and better connect to who we are, or create more of an awareness to who we are. I think you're going to enjoy the conversation and special thanks to all the sponsors. Uh, Dr. Mark Holland, who's just been an awesome friend. I know his, uh, he's going through some things with his mother right now in cancer and I'm praying and, and sending positive energy to her. Mike Albasham, premier insurance, you know, check with Mike on how he might be able to save you money on your insurance. Steven Walden, stevenwalden.com amazing story of this guy he he's been on the on the podcast a couple of times studying uh therapy was going to be a counselor and then uh, during that process he um he discovered art so he was learning about therapy he was you know spending all this money on school and he discovered art and then he was uh you know able to take that art and he's helping a lot of people he does a lot of charity work creates amazing pieces you can buy prints on his website stephenwalden.com check the show links follow me on twitter on instagram at ken calcaterra thanks to my friend adrian todzaniga it's been amazing reconnecting with him thank you for listening please subscribe if you if you like the show uh you know it's evolving i want to make it so much better i'm i think i'm coming into my own uh, with this, and I knew it would take 50 to 100 episodes to do something. Uh, maybe it's going to take a thousand. Uh, but if anything, you know, I really feel good about uh, what I'm creating and the evolution and the great people that I'm introducing you to. Beck's 2002 Sea Change album was an inspiration to Adrian Todd Zanigo in writing the book. The song Lost Cause was, was one he listened to many times when he was writing the saddest parts and really gives you an idea of part of the vibe of the book. Through bones 
Chapter 1. First, I notice her standing on the building's ledge in low-slung sunlight, looking out over the city. Next, I spy her bare feet. It's the way her shoes are settled at the base of the ledge, high heels kicked over, ankle straps still buckled, that tells me everything. I'd come to the rooftop to breathe, but now there she is, 75 feet away. Beyond her, the Brooklyn Bridge held together by floss. I'll take you to dinner, I say, a prayer as if my words could reverse gravity. But a whip of May wind catches my speech. We'll get far away from all this right off, I shout. Fly into Lisbon, then drive to Seville. We'll share a pitcher of sangria. You'll drink too much and I'll hold your hair back. She continues to stare down the city's throat. I step toward her. The wind's hum lifts into a momentary whistle. The navy flowers on her dress wrestle against her knees. What's happened up until now, I shout louder, taking two steps. I'll make it up to you times five. The wind gusts and lolls. She reaches back to keep her dress down, modesty, even now. I take two more steps, but she's still so far away. Her feet shift. She's seconds from takeoff. I'll ask you about your day and listen to every detail, I say. We'll kiss under storm clouds until we're both soaked. Her right foot inches to the ledge. Nothing I say anymore will matter. Wait, I plead as I race toward her, then stop short. She's rocking. Just don't. She's going to go. I know it's hard, I say. I understand. But I don't understand anything. She turns and faces me. She raises her right hand and pulls a knotted strand of hair from her mouth and tucks it behind her right ear. Her cheeks are blotched red with upset, her mouth bent into an almost frown. The wind tears across my eyes and the skyline blurs into watercolor. What I can half see is that she stops rocking. What I can half see are the birds pausing, the clouds breaking. What I can see is that she has stopped everything. Until, until she collapses like a faint and disappears from the ledge. So we're not recording the whole book. I, I thought I could. No, I thought it. we would just go through the entire thing. All right. I thought good. if we got the first seventy or eighty pages, then good. Because uh, I'm thinking, you know, I need a better source of income, so right. maybe your book would be that for me. I don't know. The, in, I mean, I did read the actual audio book, so this is a good alternate. We oh, just you have did. Two you strips. have an audio book. I do. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. And I read it. It was pretty fascinating. Good to do stuff. That. Yeah, I was yeah. going to ask you that last night at your um, at your book signing and yeah. your event, but uh, right on, man. It was the craziest thing about reading your book is like you come to understand how good your book is in real time. And at the page, I got to page 111 and I was just like, oh my God, I nailed it. It's a masterpiece. And then like the next 11 pages, I was like, oh, this is a huge lull. I think I blew it. Like, did I blow it? I screwed it up. I, I, this book sucks. And then, you know, and then I was, I pulled it back out. And then by the end I was like, okay. I did it. Let's not get too excited. Yeah, we are our own worst critics. Yeah. And I think it's uh, that's why it's good um, 
to have an objective look and have somebody read it and have an edit. I mean, of course, we have to get to the point where, where we're doing a lot of that ourselves yeah, yeah. before we get to that point where somebody will look at it. But, uh, yeah, because second guessing is is horrible. Yeah. Because you'll always, you'll never stop. No, it's it's pretty never. insane. I mean, Walt Whitman with Leaves of Grass, he rewrote that book over and over in his, his entire life. So he's like, man, I think I can fix this. Oh, this, this is a little better. So it is funny to hear, to, to, to have read it or to, yeah. to be reading these things and be like, oh, I would have. Like, even in that reading of the first chapter, I cut out one of the lines because it rhymes and it sounds cheesy that it rhymes. I'll just read it now, but it's uh, he's when he's looking at her and he says, um, the navy flowers on her knees, dress, uh, I'm sorry, the navy flowers on her dress rustle against her knees. She sways left to right in the C-sharp breeze. And like, I like that. I like what that says. But the fact that it rhymes, I'm like, I would undo that rhyme. Which yeah. I probably had to do in the edit. I just was like, I think I can't. <laughs> yeah, when it's the only rhyme, when, when, yeah. when the book isn't that style. Right, yeah, yeah. Then uh, it just doesn't fit. Right, yeah. Um, but you, you just have to have the um, the character write a poem. Yeah. And then you can keep it. <laughs> and then you can and then keep it, it. Then it works. You right. have that style. But, yeah. No, it's so great to see you. It's uh, yeah. been a while, but uh, I think... You know, I always talk about social media and those kind of tools. So it's great to be able to keep up with people. And yeah. uh, if it wasn't for social media, we wouldn't be sitting here. So it's pretty crazy. Like finding out that people from high school, A, knew about the book and B, bought it. You know, getting sent pictures of people with the book. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's like, the I know those people. That's And it was really like a, a really sweet moment to find out that these people that I had known and were friends with that, you know, you just sort of life takes you in all these directions but i thought that was cool so the chance of this was really awesome yeah good well glad to have you here and we'll talk about the book and we'll just catch up and do things of that nature yeah but uh yeah i started reading it last night um it was it was definitely a page turner and uh, i i wanted to keep reading but good. i knew i had to get up early right and i found a good stopping point okay um but just really enjoyed it so it kept my attention and uh, one of the chapters I'd mentioned before we started this was, um, I think it was like chapter five or four, where your character, and I don't want to give too much away, but we'll, we'll away. generalize it, <laughs> but uh, your character goes into a pitch meeting, he's pitching a screenplay, and it was... I can't, well, believe, I can't believe I've not set my alarm wrong on this. Okay. All right. I'm going to cancel that app later. Well, okay, good. good. Yeah. Good. Cool interruption, guys. Yeah, cool nice. interruption. Nice. If you had a great <laughs> ringtone or something or a great alarm, yeah. where it was like, uh, I mean, what would your alarm be? Uh, what, what song or something would you use as an alarm? I feel like right now I would have This Is America by by Childish Gambino because I'm obsessed with that video and that song. Have you, have you seen I, it? I have not seen that yet. Ugh, I'm a little behind. incredible. It's amazing. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know really what to say. I mean, it's like, a, it's, it is, I mean, people are saying it's the first art true art of the post-Trump era and I'm thinking that it's I don't think that's necessarily true but I do remember the moment the election results came in I turned to my oldest friend Mike Young and I said there's going to be some incredible art created in the next four years so it is kind of like there are things I think that are being created and that's getting credit as like this huge huge kind of moment thing but and I'm writing something right now that speaks to like what's happening so I don't know. It's interesting. I'm I'm curious how it this is all. Yeah, it is, and it's interesting with art. I mean, we'll we'll jump all around with this podcast, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) But but how art reflects society and what's going on. So I was talking with um with a radio DJ. So he was you know he grew up in the in the '60s. Oh yeah. And so all that great music from the Vietnam era. So music that we had listened to, and it seemed like this is a cool song. This is a kind of a feel good song. Yeah. 
But when you um, relay it in the context of the history, oh, that's what they were yeah, trying yeah. to say. And I think the um, for me it was uh, really opened my eyes. I mean, I had ideas of that, but I didn't have the full context until I watched Ken Burns's Vietnam War documentary. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, okay, now it allowed me to put the pieces together. Okay, this was the year that song came out. This was the year of the Tet Offensive. This was this. This was this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this was when the shit really got horrible. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. Now yeah. now I have the timeline. I think having that timeline is is so important. Yeah, like if you think about the fact that the what's happening here, what's happening here, like that song, when it came out, people probably were like, oh my God, I'm not insane. Mm-hmm. Like shit is so effed up yeah. like it's so wild and i think i think this is america is like a, a song or a, the video more so but it's just like oh yeah this stuff is happening like yeah. we can ignore it as much as we want but there's a reckoning coming and we're gonna have to deal with the fact that the world is the way it is or yeah. america is the way it is so i don't know yeah. it's pretty cool well back to the book we won't All get right, into fine. i mean we can talk about politics or whatnot but yeah. uh on this I kind of stay away but I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely open but I'm not against right. anything so it's anything goes we'll find out but back to the book um, looking at that you had had a chapter where your your character goes to a pitch meeting yep. and it just I think you nailed it um, just myself working in commercials and just the entertainment industry is a little crazy yeah yeah um, and it was just like a bizarre scene and I was like, yeah, this is this this hits the nail on the head. Now, was that based on any real life experiences or just um, research or how did you come about with that? Yeah, I think. So have you only read one pitch meeting? Because there is an, at least I've only one read coming. the one. Yes. Okay, right. Um, so the, in the book, the guy is basically going to pitch um, a movie about Elvis's Graceland being kidnapped by aliens. And it's, you know, it's him and his best friend sort of came up with it and it was sort of a lark when they came up with it but then it now has taken on this reality and he's actually going to to pitch the pitch the movie and he's pitching it alone because his friend is you know at home and feels i don't want to say deathly ill but he's so ill he can't get out of bed so this guy who wasn't the lead pitch guy is now going in and pitching this movie and um and the first one does go horribly wrong but it it by no fault of his own you know, and that I, I think it's interesting having lived in L.A. and having these meetings. Um, you know, I, I wrote that original pitch meeting 13 years ago and I, you know, it was an idea of what I thought would happen. But the development of there's at least one. I'll just say at least one other pitch meeting. But um, but yeah, those meetings also were informed by just the personalities of people that run companies. There are people that are relaxed. There are people that are uptight. There are people that don't want to talk to you. And that the one you're talking about actually was informed by a comedian friend of mine named Joel Dovave. And uh, he had gone into a pitch meeting. And during the pitch meeting, uh, he realized these people didn't care anything he was talking about. He, they were just so awful. But at the same time, they weren't like, okay, well, thanks so much. And so he was just like, why am I still in this meeting? And then they're like, well, what else you got? What else you got? You know? And finally, he's like, you know, fuck these people. Sorry if I can't. Can I no, profan? You, yeah. No problem. Just, yeah. I'll put a note. I'll uh, put an exclaimer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not wearing big, pants. Big warning. Yeah. So. yeah. I know, and that's why it's good. I, I mean, I don't wear pants either. Right. I'm in podcasting. Exactly. Yeah, so, why yeah, would there you? There you go. Uh, Be comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so after they had asked him, he w- finally was like, okay, here you go, motherfuckers. And he pitched Jurassic Park to them 
honestly. Like he was like, okay, I have an idea. <laughs> Dinosaurs. And he, he pitched them and they're like, huh, that's cool. Okay, great. Thanks. And then that was his, yeah. his, his fuck you to them. And then he left and he felt better. Cause he's like, you know what? I got you back. You know, yeah. I'm a, I'm going to, you know, so, um, there, there was like that psychology is this idea of how you can just get railroaded by these people. And if you're not, if you don't sort of turn it in the moment and go, you know what, screw these people. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to take some power back here. If you don't do that, like how much you can just get totally run over. And oh, yeah, you have to like, dick what? skin. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I would say so, be yeah. an armadillo, but uh, I don't think it works too well when they get run over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, those, those yeah be something else. Yeah, be, yeah. <laughs> I don't <laughs> <A> know. Turtle? <laughs> Is it turtle? The... No, turtles get squashed, they too. They get squashed, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. There's, ah, we have no good analogy there, it's so an we'll elephant. move forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, or uh, a deer messes your car up, but they get they usually yeah, they, run off. They take so. the hit. Yeah, oh, well. yeah, elephant's good. Or a rhino, a rhino, a yeah. rhino. <laughs> awesome. Uh, so, okay, so this is your first novel. It is, yeah. And uh, Collision Theory is the title, and it's got this beautiful purple cover. I'm, Thanks. I'm a fan of purple. So, 13 years to write this. Describe that process. Yeah, the the first uh, so I'd written it. I I really had started it fifteen years ago, and I had um, just written the the opening. Maybe maybe what I read even it might have been a little more than that, but that was pretty much it. And then I I was like, okay, that's cool. I got distracted by other stuff, and then thirteen years ago I pulled it out and I was like, I think there's something here. Like I I think it was at a salon in New York, just in Brooklyn, and people were like, hey, let's just share weird work. And I was like, okay, let me try this. And then after that, I was like, oh, this is cool. So I ended up writing the whole book in nine months. And then um, and then that was like, I was like, well, this is great. I didn't plot it. I didn't think about anything. I was basing it on like, I'm a genius and anything I write will be magical. <laughs> and I did come up with a book that was quite like wild and energetic and fast and all this stuff was happening. And then um, and I ended up getting an agent on it uh, off the back of it. Uh, and then um he like while he was reading it actually i i thought about it and then i was like oh shit i've sent it out and now i'm going to rewrite the entire thing and i like cut 100 pages did all this stuff and then he called and he's like hey i'd like to represent it and i was like oh shit like i didn't realize you'd like that but i have this other version now and he was like oh yeah yeah that'll work and then um it didn't sell and then i would go back to it every 2 years or so and i'd be like you know what i still love that book so i'm going to go back and then um I guess uh, two and a half years ago, my um, my girlfriend came into the picture. She's an incredible reader, like just the smartest person I've ever met and no bullshit with my work. Like she's so, she's the nicest human you could ever meet. But when it comes to my writing, she, in her mind, it's like, it's 85% there. And if I get to the, like, she's going to do everything she can to get it to the hundred percent. Cause mm-hmm. she, I don't know, she believes it's in it. And very important to have someone like yeah, that. It's, it's amazing. And she was just going at the book. And I think actually she came in after I got an agent. Um, so I'm sort of throwing my, I'm remembering the timeline. Oh, it's but, all right. It's all right. This is yeah. just as good. Yeah. So about three years before publication, I had sent it out to a ton of agents. And I do the show called Literary Deathmatch. I've done it 470 times in 60 cities all around the world. I feature authors reading their own work and celebrities judging them. And it's I do basically stand-up comedy that's literary-based. So, so I've been doing that for 12 years. So when I wanted to take it back out and I felt like it was it was good enough to, to try again, um, I had access to all these amazing agents, just like the best of the best. And, you know, I'd write authors. And I'd be like, hey, could you connect me? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Like you do a lot for the literary world. Like, let's try to help you out. 
Um, and all these great agents read it, and I would get these really long love letters about how the book was glorious and the writing was just unbelievable. And then at the last line was always like, but it's not for me to represent. Yeah. Like, I thank you for letting me read it, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so I was sort of, I was sort of like, oh man, like I've taken at that point 10 years to rewrite this book and rewrite this book. I think it'd probably be 13 or 14 or 15 edits at that point. And I was, I got discouraged finally. And I was like, oh man, like maybe that's just not the book. Maybe it's just not going to happen. Um, and then I went to a literary death match in New York and this, this good friend of mine, he brought his agent and his agent was like, Hey, I read your book. Did you get my email? And I was like, no. And, and he's like, oh, that's weird. I sent it and I check, I'm like talking to him and I'm checking and it's in my spam. And he, and right as I read the email, he says the words that are in the email. He goes, I just, I thought your book was virtuosic and I want to represent it. And my immediate response after all this, like doubt that it definitely clouded me, it clouded my brain in the, you know, in the months of which I was getting the rejections, I was like, fuck yeah, it's virtuosic. Like this is like I spent 10 years on every single word in this book and it's the best I can do. And it, it is like so orchestrated to make each sentence and everything, you know, just the flow. I was like, yeah, like amazing. I'm like, thank you. And he's like, yeah, I want to represent it. So, so we edited it. And then my, uh, my girlfriend, um, I, I met her around that time and then she was so relentless and, uh, it is amazing. Like, I don't know. There's this thing that can happen. <laughs> this is the most embarrassing thing, but I might as well say it that as a male writer, you happen to write things in which the narrator is somewhat you and when the narrator walks in the room the women in the room are fascinated or amazed by him and like the way women interact with that character is absurd and unrealistic but it's like a male fantasy and she was like no she was like this is bullshit and this guy is not the fucking greatest thing he's a sad dude who like is struggling with his life why is this girl just like oh wow you're here and I was like oh my god so I had to undo those kind of things that and that is you know it's a great growth spurt for me to to have experienced that but it it was just like oh shit yeah this girl has no reason to find him even attractive let alone be interested in him anyway or whatever order that goes in and then uh undoing those things was really interesting and and powerful for the novel and it opened up all these other avenues but yeah her relentlessness was was huge and then um then we sold the book uh similar to how i got the agent like i'd sort of lost hope and then somebody came in um rare bird it's a publisher in la and they they're an independent publisher and they're they just do great stuff and then they came and they're like Hey, we want to publish your book. And I was like, Oh shit. Wow. Yeah. Like, cool. And, uh, and they set me up with an editor who was named Seth Fisher, who's relentless times 10. Um, and just like, he really was dogged about trying to, I, I would say I got like an MFA class in terms of the editing of the book. Um, but yeah, he was awesome. And he, he just picked out things and forced me to, to press. And whenever I was sort of losing my mind and I was like, I just don't know if this is good or, okay, I'm just going to do what Seth wants me to do. Then I would go to my girlfriend or she would jump in and she's like, no, like that's not right. And this is right. And, and it, it really was um, extraordinary to have the people around me that I had because they loved the book and they were so kind about it. And my, my openness to changing things, like I would say the book changed about 30% in the final two edits. And that's a pretty colossal change. But at the same time, I, I knew that it wasn't good enough 
at that point and just i don't know i'm talking a lot but yeah so well i'll interrupt you yeah yeah but no this was one of those things that uh re you know hemingway said the first draft of anything is shit writing is rewriting is another great quote and that's one thing i do a little adjunct teaching and uh that's one of the things i gave a lot of notes and a lot of the students weren't ready for for notes and they didn't realize they thought because i was giving them all these notes that they were like a failure right it's like, no, 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 guys, you're not a failure. You're learning. Yeah. Having these notes helps you learn because I've done it. And am I the greatest? No. I'm begging people for notes. It's like, hey, I, I'm because I have, I've, I've kind of become numb to certain work. Now, there's one screenplay that I think is pretty good. I've, I've stepped away with long enough that I think I can be objective. But then again, it's, you know, it's personal and it's, I'm, I'm really close to it. So there's things I'm never going to see, no matter how hard I try. So that's one thing you want advice. And I was talking to my, my friend Steve Meyer last night, the one I told you about who's moving to London. He called like right after. So that was serendipity. Yeah. But, um, and I was telling him that I wish somebody would have taught me early on that, you know, just like, don't worry about it. Don't have, you know, develop that thick skin, but understand why. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and having that because your, your competition is, I mean, how many novels are out there? How many screenplays are written every year? I don't even have the number, but, you know, I'm sure if we Google it, we, we'd have an obscene number. It's millions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to stand out, you know, that's one thing to have a great story, but to have it tight enough to sell yeah, is yeah. completely different. Well, also, I remember when I wrote that first draft or the, even the second draft and I got the agent off of it, I do know, like, I remember being like, oh, there's sort of this is a mistake or it doesn't, it's not explained, but... No one will notice, mm-hmm. and which is like the dumbest <laughs> ass thing I could ever think. And now, like I'm obsessed with tightening work to the point where it is. I always talk about stress testing it that you can push on any part of it and none of it breaks, because when you I do I talk about this a lot in film, but like Get Out is a film that is I think it's a perfect film, and I remember seeing it and I'd be like. I, I stood up in the theater and it was March that year. I was like, I think that's going to get nominated for an Oscar. Like that was so tight it was i think it was perfectly written and like there wasn't any breath in it and then you see something like three billboards out of ebbing's missouri and you realize that if you stress test 60 percent of that movie it falls apart and it's like oh shit like i think people scene by scene that three billboards is extraordinary but then when you realize all those scenes don't add up to a movie that makes sense and so with collision theory like i think I don't think there's, I think you can stress test every section of it. And it like, you might find, you know, a word, you know, like, but, but in terms of the structure, which is quite complicated and how it unravels, um, I never would have thought I was writing a mystery novel, but in a sense, there's a core mystery that, that is filtered through this book. And then other mysteries sort of start to reveal themselves and then other ones emerge. And so, I don't know, it was really important to me. And I, I think, both having those people around me, but also growing as an artist, like in those 13 years, like I definitely feel like I'm an artist. I feel like I'm a writer, but my goal is to like create art. So, which is pretentious to a point, but then also you just say it and you're like, no, this is actually what I'm trying to do. Like, could I write more popular more whatever? Like, sure. I could probably do it. I'm no interest in it, but I know I can do it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'd rather write tight literary fiction. But but there are times in in the popular things that it can be art if it's layered. For sure. And yeah. that's the thing. Sometimes uh, some things like they just so, they're so thin that you can see right through it. Right. But then other times it, there's deeper layers. So on the surface it may be a comedy, right. or it may be this. 
But with the characters and everything else, if you have just these underlying elements, all these underlying themes and just, you know, these chasms and just like, yeah. get into the character's soul, it can be something more. And I'm, you know, kind of glad it took you, you know, a long time to write this book because yeah, I don't yeah. feel so bad of a screenplay that it's I started after college. All right. And every year I keep thinking, like, I'm going to sit down and write it, but then I get caught up in all these other things. Right. So at some point... I'm going to sit down and write it. And, and the fact that I'm writing it now, and this will lead into my next question, is that I'm so different now. And it was it's a mockumentary. Oh, yeah. And I, when I was writing it, I, knew, I didn't hear any shit about documentaries. Right. Now I've created all these documentaries, and I think the writing, it, everything's going to be better. And I realize yeah. I don't need half of what's in there. So it's just, I you know, it's a different style of writing now. So yeah. it's just like, okay, this is going to be better now that I've experienced what I have. Yeah. And then hopefully it, um, story-wise or, or the topic, it's about uh, Independent Professional Wrestling League. We'll oh, cool. talk about it some other time. But, yeah, yeah. but um, you know, hopefully that there's still, you know, there, there's still something there for it. Get yeah, it yeah. done and there's there's a market or whatnot. But it, it does have a lot of underlying themes and really not a clear protagonist and so it's like completely unconventional right and but and i want to stick with that because it's different and it's fresh yeah yeah maybe it doesn't sell or anything like that but at least i'm doing something that i feel is unique for the audience to enjoy well i think that idea is um like this book took me 13 years to finish because i had to grow up and grow into it and i had to learn all the stuff like it we all want to hurry up. Like we all, like you want your TV, oh, yeah. you want to sit down tomorrow and you want it done in a month and then you want it to sell and all this stuff. Yeah. But like some stuff just takes time. And yeah. as we grow into it and, and as we create these things, and if, if you're still thinking about it, the these years later, like there's something to that. Yeah. And there's a reason why that's sticking around. And it's, it's cool. It's like that idea that we're impatient. We're like when you're young, especially you want to be, the next big thing because that's how this world works you know like who's the next who's the 20 under 25 it's like i mean i love people who are under 25 congratulations yeah yeah but like the 40 under 40 or 50 under 50 is way more yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's easy to get caught up in that and and for me it was i guess an ego thing or was an acceptance thing and uh, even though i put the time into it uh, I was thinking too many steps down the line this is something i was going to direct right um so i'm uh, you know i'm making you know figuring out the the logistics making budgets all that when the screenplay wasn't quite right, right. so it's just yeah, like yeah. dude cart before the horse yeah. and i didn't realize it at the time instead of just focusing on the writing getting that done and but i didn't know and right. did, didn't you know i'm dreaming and this and that so i know now yeah yeah and that's why i tell people make sure your script is bulletproof yeah that's exactly. my analogy because you're gonna get a lot of bullets shot at you um and people are looking for any way to take you down so you got to do the best you can just to fill all those, you know, to, to, to cover yourself. Once yeah, again, yeah. back to the armor analogy. Yeah. And also you gotta do it. to make yourself bulletproof in the way that like when somebody says no, you go, oh, that's okay. Like it's not for you. I think the words it's not for you are some of the most powerful as a creative person yeah. because you realize that like, oh, okay. It doesn't matter. Like literally this book, like yesterday I did an event at a bookstore in St. Louis and mostly my family showed up and I was like, my dad's not going to read this and like it. He might, he might try to find himself in it or whatever, <laughs> but like, it's not for him. And that actually talking about family is interesting. Cause growing up, I realized there was a time when being like 
getting the approval of my family for what I was doing creatively was not a smart thing. Like to try to find the people that were trying to do the weird thing I was doing or trying to progress in the world and write things, you know? And I was like, oh yeah, that's, those are the people I need to yeah. to be around. And those people, when I'm struggling, will go, oh yeah, well I tried this or I did this or I met with this guy or whatever, you know, whatever the billion things that are out there. And if you're always, if you're trying to impress everybody, you're ultimately failing because you just can't. Like nobody likes just everything, yeah. you know, Harry yeah. Potter is the closest anybody's come yeah. to like that. But I'm sure there are people, you know, I read it probably, I guess, two years ago now. And I read it because I'd got my girlfriend tickets because she's a huge Harry Potter fan. But I had always been like, it's YA, young adult. Ugh, I don't want it. <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, this is one of the greatest things I've ever read. Yeah. And, and talk about growth, like the first book in that series, the seven book series, the first book is like scaffolding. and It's quite youthful and, and not that interesting quite frankly but you can get yeah. through it fast but by the time you get to books six and seven it evolves like, it's so oh great God. i mean it's, it's a kid can start reading as early reading and then yeah. as they grow then then they're growing with the book yeah. and i think that is genius genius and, and i'm you know i haven't read much or, or researched if that was her plan or yeah. if she evolved you know throughout the process but she did plan to do it that way yeah she planned to do oh. seven books from the start like and, she was like let's try this and the the craziest thing to me about that is she sold the the book, the first book. Um, it had a print run of 500, yeah. which is extraordinary. <laughs> and they had given her a $4,000 yeah. advance. And so... And she was dead broke. She was dead broke. Yeah. yeah. Had a baby and like was just basically a single parent huh. and just struggling, depressed, like, oh man. But she like got up, she got off the mat every day and she's like, but I want to do this thing. I believe in this thing. And um, it 12 publishers rejected it. The 13th was was bloomsbury i believe and then so yeah i mean that's like the greatest mm -hmm. success story because she's the yeah. first billionaire that's ever been a writer which to give you a sense of how insane that she's a billionaire stephen king is only 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 made 400 million dollars off his writing like stephen king everybody you yeah know, like exactly. you would think he's definitely mm -hmm. but, but he's not just his writing but what about movie rights is that included i don't know i think that's all maybe not but yeah, I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I think he's still under a billion, which it doesn't seem to that make sense. Hack. I know. What a, what a, <laughs> what a very bum. generous guy, though. He would yeah. give. I don't know if he still does it. And now they have a. I think they have a show coming out that's based on his short stories called Castle Rock. Oh, cool. And yeah. uh, but at one point he would give indie filmmakers the rights to his short stories for like a buck. Oh, wow, that's awesome. So I mean, he's just I mean, he's just yeah. the dude. Yeah, yeah. He's and you know we won't get in the politics, but he's a guy that's open. And uh, it's just a situation. It's just like whether whether you like it or not, just don't pay attention to his politics. Yeah. But he's. He's a guy, 400 million, that's nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, so he's he, done some things. He does. He, he can give zero fucks about right. anything that's going on in the world and be okay. Yeah, yeah. So to me, and this is kind of my um, uh, soapbox, is, yeah, if somebody that's making a lot of money is speaking out against something, then they care because they have a lot of reasons not to care, a lot right. of green reasons just to say, you know, I'm covered. Right. I, I can go to space when this planet is done. I'm <laughs> You know, I can afford yeah. that ticket where I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but you never know. We can change it. Yeah. I have that big screen play or something, but now that's, that's the mentality I'm getting away from. Right. That yeah, That's yeah. the lottery mentality. Yeah. And often it's not the journey, it's that destination. So yeah, I yeah. had to grow to realize that, you know, just th these moments, you know, with this podcast, I may learn something here that's going to 
turnover in a screenplay. So yeah. now I've I've talked a lot. So now it's your no, turn. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> it's a conversation. Like it. Yeah, it's a conversation. But yeah, it is. Uh, Stephen King's an interesting one because um, the dedication of my book uh, is to my mom, and and in short, basically that she loved when I was home reading because it meant I was safe, and that was because I just remember explicitly coming home every day after school to read It by Stephen King and like laying on the couch and my mom wasn't like, go clean your room or anything. She was kind of like, no, he's good. I'm going to let him do that. Yeah, and that's I, cool. Yeah, it was cool. And yeah. I This up, dumbass read it in class when I was supposed to be learning other things. Uh, it's like, I can't put it down. It's amazing. Stephen King's King's It. I yeah, just, yeah. I, you know, all 1,100, I think, in 81 pages or something like that. In seventh grade, I read it. Yeah. That book for me, why I love that book and why I love him in a way I mean, I guess I just love him because his stories were impactful on me and whatnot. But like, it was the first book I read that when I finished, I wanted to see, I, I like thought I would see those people in my world because it was uh, middle school kids or whatever. And I like, that was an extraordinary thing to be like, oh, I in some <laughs> way think these people are real. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, I ended up uh, emailing him about seven years ago. I got his email address and, and wrote him a note to say like, you're my favorite writer. Do you ever want to do literary death match? And he wrote a really nice note back. And I was like, that's oh, cool. That's fucking cool. <laughs> that's fucking yeah. awesome. That's awesome. And but he just had no interest in literary death. Match. He, he was basically like, I'm busy then I've written him back since. And he hasn't said yes, but I know that like, he's got physical issues. So, Oh yeah. But, yeah. He got hit by a car once when he was on a yeah. walk and just, that's it's pretty crazy stuff. So yeah. are you still doing literary death? I can't even say literary death match. Literary are you still? Yes. Yeah, so as an Englishman, I can say it a little better. I am. Um, yeah. I've got a show coming up in Minneapolis and then one in New York and then London. And then that'll basically get me. That's, the only ones I'm doing until September and then I'll do four or five in September. And then in October I'll do three or four. Okay. And, uh, I think two in November and then that's it. Um, that's it for the year or forever? For the year. year. All right. So you'll always hang on to that. Yeah. It's like, basically it's the most fun thing and, and having created it and like bringing around the world and gotten good at it in terms of hosting it and producing it and, you know, curating it, all the different elements it's sort of something that I think will exist for the rest of my life that I might just, you know, it might come to me doing one or two shows a year, but it's just great. Cause it's, you know, bringing such a cool mix of people together. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. Like the New York show, we have the comedian Todd Berry is going to be judging with this girl, Corinne Fisher, who's on a podcast called guys. We fucked. And oh, I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. one of my favorite podcasts. It's amazing. <laughs> and they're awesome. They're awesome. And I learned so much through yeah. that. I wish I had that podcast when I was, you know, a lot younger. Yeah. Because it's like, son of a bitch. I did not, I didn't learn, I didn't know this. Yeah. And, and basic shit. Basic shit. You know? And just yeah. like how ignorant and like misogynistic you're, you just don't get it. And like, it's, I don't know, it's hard. And especially in a society that's driven the way it is. It's like, I don't know, it's an extraordinary podcast. So, so like they're going to judge with, with this girl, Ashley C. Ford, who's one of the timeout New York, like New York or 100 or whatever. And then the authors are all amazing and it's a great mix. And I'm just like, that's pretty cool. And like, as, as my book hopefully succeeds. And then as the screenplay stuff I'm doing, I, I wrote, uh, the long shot, um, movie, interactive movie in, in Madden 18 and going to be doing other things that, that are screenwriting based. Like I feel like my world is starting, like Mahershala Ali was in long shot. So I feel like eventually I'm just going to see him out in LA and he's going to be like, 
hey, who are you? I want to do. I want to work with you. You're a cool dude. That is not how it's going to work at all. I think I'm yeah. going to be the one to make the approach. But just that well, I, I think you always have to. Uh, you know, you can't wait because yeah. I've, I've thought about that too. And you just got to throw it out there, yeah. whether it is Stephen King or whoever right. it is, because you never know. Yeah, you never know where they're at in their headspace. Yep. Or there could be a lull for somebody. It's just like, what? nobody's calling me to do a podcast, yeah. so I'll reach out, yeah, yeah. and they'll be like, yeah, shit, yeah, I'll sure, do a podcast. It's, it's pretty cool. Like, I mean, there's a guy named Intare Muine, and he is um, Intare Mbaho Gumam. I might mess his name up. But anyway, he's on the show The Shy. He was in Blood Diamond. He was in Trime, and he just did Literary Deathmatch. And I actually, I just finished a script that was a Christmas-related thing, and I actually, for the final draft of that script that got me to the point where now I'm getting it read by a couple different people, his voice was the voice I used for the father. He's just got a very distinct voice and he's just such a cool dude. And, you know, after the show, I was like, by the way, I wrote this thing and I, I just want to say thanks because your voice was, he's like, I want to read it. And I was like, oh shit, like, cool. Like, what a perfect, yeah. you know, and I don't know. It's interesting when you, when you bounce around in that world and if you treat people well, and that's all, you know, people ask me for advice in the world. And I'm always like, just be the nicest person you can be. Because you, and not for like any real reason, but like, you don't know that somebody you met 10 years later might be the person that you're like, oh man, I wonder if, and they're like, yeah, that person was nice. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll help them out, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's, there's that quote that the people that you pass as you're going up the ladder, you may see coming down or uh, coming yeah, down yeah. that hill. Yeah. Yeah. I just butchered that quote. I, but I, I, but I get what but you're yeah, saying. Yeah. And no, when you're going... Going up when you're having success, if you start walking over people, there's going to be a point. And yeah. this industry is crazy. Yeah. That, you know, it's not always riding on the top. You're going to come yeah. down. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, so yeah. at some point, you're going to come on that downward handle. Yeah. And that person may be on the upward swing and they're like, oh, hey. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, F you, F man. You, you yeah, treated yeah. me like shit. Yeah, exactly. And just didn't give me the time of day or whatever it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. There's this great quote by, uh, I think, oh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said about Hemingway. He said he was always willing to lend a helping hand to those above him, which is like a fucking <laughs> amazing quote. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those guys. I actually wrote a TV pilot that I hope eventually I'll get back to and, and do one more edit because I think it's really close. But it's about Hemingway and Fitzgerald in Paris in, in the mid-20s, 1920s. Um, I guess that makes sense. It's not like they're in another generation. But That's amazing. That sounds fun. Yeah. It's super. Like the first seven minutes of it, it's a half-hour show because I was like, what if they do like a half-hour comedy drama about these guys? And and the opening is just when F. Scott Fitzgerald shows, um, shows Hemingway his penis and asks him if it's big enough. And so that's like, <laughs> and that really happened. And I put it as like the, the night they meet instead. So, um, but yeah. And then Hemingway, if the deal is with F Scott was he basically couldn't hold his liquor. Like he, it was like a condition. And so he seemed like a ridiculous drunk, but in fact, just when he drank, he just sort of lost it where Hemingway was like a steel trap of you know, just keep chugging booze and nothing would go wrong. But, he was like Andre the giant. Exactly. Where it takes two yeah. bottles, two bottles of vodka just to, kind of get loosened up did you know samuel beckett used to drive andre the giant to school i think i you told me that or yeah. you read it or, or wrote it in uh in a, in a book for somebody yeah, yeah yeah it's pretty crazy like yeah it's weird but yeah andre the giant who knew we were gonna get to andre the giant yeah you know hey this is good we'll <laughs> throw it all out there yeah. and then i get extra hashtags and i can Hashtag Andre the Giant, and yeah. somebody looking for the documentary will listen to this and say, these guys just mentioned his name. Right. That's not well, enough. But, yeah, I'm taking it, man. I'm going to yeah. use 
I'm going to use those algorithms to do whatever I have so we can make collision theory, you know, put it on the bestseller list and exactly. make this podcast be the most listened to podcast ever. Of the People year. People will be like, Ken, you don't usually curse a lot in your yeah. podcast. And like, it was Adrian Todzniga. He brought it out of me. Really did. That guy, he's a bad influence or a good influence, depending on how you look on it. But it's good, you know, there's all those studies that people that curse are a little more chill and yada yada and like they're and I, I read so much that I can't retain it all. Yeah, yeah. It's insane the amount do, of information coming down the pipe now. Do you feel like you read so much and can't retain it because now we have Google? I've I've been thinking about that. Like we used to memorize phone numbers, now they're all in our phone. Mm-hmm. We used to like remember stuff because once it was gone, we would have to literally go find it in like a bookshelf of a thousand books. And now I don't know, I think about that and I'm trying to wean myself off the iPhone. I'm I'll never be able to give it up because of directions i just mm-hmm. yeah. i'm just a floaty weirded weird headed dude <laughs> when it comes to direction i'm like i don't really know where i am yeah uh, okay and that's a good tool yeah that's a good it's, tool. it's a good tool but like the other stuff i'm like the fact it's a distraction machine so i don't know that's that's an interesting thing in terms of writing and creating like are you consuming or are you creating and and what do you want that balance to be and, and, and i think you have to pick those times i was thinking about this the other night it's like i still want to consume things because yeah. it's i enjoy it it feels good but I'm thinking, like, the more I do, the less I'm creating. Yeah. Um, certain things, you know, I can multitask. But writing is not one of them where you can put on a, a score or something that gives you that mood or some kind of music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I think you can zone the music out. But when it's dialogue, then it's like you're listening to that dialogue and just don't have that full attention. Yeah. So that And that's been one of my, my problems, I think. I'm just too – I've got too many things going, too many interests. And uh, – you know, it's so easy with Netflix and, you know, everything yeah. is so accessible that at some point I just need to uh, like take a pilgrimage or something <laughs> into the, this world of my imagination. Hopefully get it back because right. I feel kind of, I don't know, I don't feel as imaginative as I've been in the past or when I was younger. Well, Dave Eggers said um, something about writing. He said, Go, writing is basically swimming down and down and down in the darkest, murkiest depths possible. And it can take 45 minutes. It can take two hours to get to that sweet spot. And then checking your email puts you at the surface in one second. So like, that's a really extraordinary thing. And when, when I, I remember when I was writing this book, that's when email wasn't the email as we know it. So I would check my email and there'd be like maybe three or four emails. So it was just like a slight momentary thing of like, oh, okay, I can answer these. Now I'm back in the book. Like, and it was kind of fun and there was play in it. And now basically if you click over, you don't only see the new stuff, but you see that you, I mean, I literally have 8,000 emails in my inbox and I usually like to keep it around a hundred, but about a year and a half ago, I was like, what is answering email doing for me? And what is it taking away from me? And so the, and the, basically if an email comes in that has to do with money, I answer it. And if it doesn't, then I make a judgment call and, you know, and if it's a friend and usually my friends will be texting me or whatever, but even that, like I'm on email, oh, I've got to be texted uh, or i am got to be on my phone to text. Oh, I've got to this, you know, and like mm-hmm. that, that distraction or that separation and, and nothing is centralized. I don't know. All that stuff's really interesting to contend with. It is. And I, I think it's a matter of. Uh, you know, you're doing something creative. You have to shut the phone off. Right. You have yeah, to yeah. shut the email off so it doesn't pop up every five minutes or, right. or whatever that situation is, and just really get into that space. And one of my guests, this guy Matt Hodell, who's just this amazing tattoo artist. He's um, you can everyone you can listen to his show. It's just a wonderful conversation. Plug, shameless plug. <laughs> 
But no, he's he's amazing, and he talked about routines and rituals. So it was something I was going to talk to you about. And he has, before he gets into that creative space, he has just certain rituals. And we didn't talk about exactly what that ritual is, but it could be anything. It could be lighting incense for for that smell. It could be putting on a certain music. It could be, um, you know, setting your pens if you're, you know, writing by hand, journaling, or, you know, have your space a certain way when you're typing. Uh, do you have any rituals w- before you begin writing? Yeah, like for me, I, I had, when I was living in L.A., I'm in London now. My girlfriend's in London, so I'm, I'm in London for now. And um, when I was in L.A., I got this group together. And we would just meet, I think we met every month or maybe every three weeks. But it would just, I invited 10 people, you know, mix of people, filmmakers, writers, you know, literally any musicians, any kind of thing. And there were 10 of us and, you know, every meeting we'd have like six or seven. And we'd sort of go around at first and talk about what we were working on creatively. And then I would just throw out a weird question or like something I was thinking of. And one day we were, I was just like, do you guys work out? Like, what's your, phys- like, how do you deal with the physical stuff of sitting in a chair? And, uh, and that like launched this incredible conversation. Yeah, it was an hour yeah. and everybody's like, okay, I'm going to like, I'll take this tip here and this thing here. Mm-hmm. And like, um, yeah. So for me, like that, I'm fascinated by that and how we get to, from like waking up to the chair. And, um, when I'm writing the benefit of being in London is basically when I wake up, if I wake up at eight, nine, seven thirty, whatever, like once I'm up, I'm only uh, dealing with emails generally with the night before. So if I don't check my email, like I'm free and I, and nobody that's emailing me from the West coast or East coast is even going to care until 2 PM of London time. So I sort of have this great sort of soft opening to my day in which uh, I'll, I basically get up, shower, um, get on the train and I'll take a train ride 45 minutes to this one area uh, typically and that like there's quite I believe in a sort of a meditative state and what I listen to I'll listen to a podcast on the walk to the train and then on the train where I'll read like that can change and with the current book I'm writing it deals with a lot of like how messed up America is and just like core you know who we're screwing over by and who's benefiting and so listening to podcasts about race in America or feminism or just the state of things is uh, is really valuable, and I'm basically just taking notes on that, and then and then I get down, and then I sit, and I'm just like in it, and I you know I have like a sugary, I don't know, a chocolate almond croissant ideally. If mm-hmm. I show up too late at this one cafe, those sell out, and then I have to go another route. Um, and I've started to drink coffee, which I never used to. Me neither. I haven't started that. I probably never yeah. will. Don't do it if you can't, if you can help it. Um, but like tea, I'll usually just have tea if that's my ideal. Coffee yeah. can, I get weird. Like my hands go <laughs> numb if I have caffeine sometimes. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, doesn't seem like a good thing long term. Um, but yeah, it's so I, there's sort of this waking up ritual. Like when I first wake up, I sort of will take 30 minutes of looking on the internet, checking things, watching the Cubs condensed game. You know, just like little things that are sort of triggers because I, I sort of wake up slow. But if I can stay in that quiet space, then I'm set, you know, and yeah. then once I'm sitting down, like it all is a buildup from when I sit down that I'm there. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's so yeah, interesting. For me, it has to be that relaxed state when I'm writing. Yeah. Because if I'm worried about things and you think a lot of times uh, you said the best writers and best artists are those that are wounded and all that and are you know, going through things. 
And, and maybe that's the thing I'm, I'm getting. My life is, you know, developing this happiness, self-love, all those kind of things, which is a completely different rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. But um, looking at that, you, you know, I can still pull from those things. But for me, even, you know, when I was like deep in the darkness of, of my life and different things and an open book, you know, I, I'm kind of paralyzed in that state. I can't really create. Right. Yeah, so yeah. for me, it's that relaxed, almost like stream of consciousness type thing. And that's yeah. the, the best. I'm, I'm not trying to do anything. And that works out. So, I mean, it's different. Everybody's different. But it's, I guess, understanding those differences. And, okay, I may read about this person. You know, that may not be your, your jam. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think the key to creativity for me is just being super compassionate with myself because sometimes I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel like crap or I'm going to have done something that pissed off my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. So she's like just not in a good space and she's going to let me know about it. And then, you know, like, and that's totally fair. Or I'm just going to be like, man, I've been ignoring email for three days and I really, it's starting to build up. And I'm, you know, when I first started writing this new book, I kind of ignored communication for the better part of a month because if I write early then my day is set Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that that people can focus on if you get that creativity and early before the noise of the day comes in it's really powerful because then you're just kind of like oh I'm I feel good now I can go do the stuff that is effectively meaningless um I mean not dealing with your family or whatever but well well, I'm starting to find that comfort as well I I mean it was weird because I'd always I'd be fine watching movies alone reading alone and I was always one, after school, I would kind of isolate and it would read a book or play a video game or things that were not productive at right. all. But, you know, maybe maybe they'd be paying off now or in the future. Well, but but looking at that, it's just like now. And then I lost that comfort level and I was like, I've got to be around people more. And sometimes writing at a coffee shop works. But then, uh, but now I'm, I'm getting more comfortable with that isolation and knowing that, okay, could I sit and write for four hours you know i'm trying to get that attention span yeah yeah and i I think that stuff is just about building up it's like going outside and running like if you just get up and start running tomorrow you're gonna you know you can do like two three minute bursts but if you keep doing that every day then all of a sudden your endurance changes and i think for me going like my ritual is super important because if i have to think about like what cafe am i going to go to today that already fucks me up totally just any little thing i'm like ugh, and so you know, I don't have a car in London, but when I'm in LA, like I would just get up, I would get in the shower and I would get in my car and I would go to a place. And sometimes like the cafe was closed for the day or they were shooting there or something, you know, um, that shooting films, not shooting one another, ideally. And now, yeah, I'm, whenever I send things out for locations, it's, I say filming. Ah, uh, right. Because yeah, yeah. the shooting, yeah, uh, right. people would be like, what the, yeah, what's whoa. this guy talking about? He's shooting kids <laughs> in a school. No, 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 <laughs> filming kids in a school. <laughs> you know, it's just like, that's th- th- it's the words. Uh, yeah. And that's what's beautiful about the English language. Uh, yeah. Like one word means so many different uh, yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, got, got it. So, that's amazing. But yeah, that kind of stuff can really trip you up. And like, if you can try to get rid of as much stuff because the world is fucking man there's it's a thunderstorm every day of like things that can throw you off mm-hmm. so if you can try to like navigate and like i said be compassionate just be like okay today it's just not happening the way i wanted like, it's being compassionate yeah with yourself as well like yeah, yeah. because it's easy to be oh i didn't write anything today right. blah 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 i suck i'm a failure blah 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 it's just i mean if you're giving your friend a pep talk or another writer you're gonna be like dude you're a failure right you're yeah, like, yeah. no man you're it's cool you didn't write today we'll get right. it tomorrow hey i'll give you a hand sam or let me let me read this or yeah, give yeah. you some notes sam lipsites uh says that his, his as a writer like his deal is that he checks in with his work every day and that doesn't mean he writes every day but he'll at least be like okay this is where i'm at that's where the character's going okay cool now i'm gonna go fuck off and do all the shit i have to do but like 
for me, that's really valuable because when you're not writing or you just don't have it and you're just sort of distracted, just outline. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like take notes, draw a picture. Yeah, just notes like, are good too. You read yeah. it and you're like, oh, maybe yeah. if they did this. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah. And there's there's always something that can be done that will ultimately shorten the period of time from 13 years <laughs> to yeah. whatever it is. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it is interesting how hard we can be on ourselves because we want to. We want this thing in us to be this thing outside of us that everybody can go, oh, you're a genius. Yeah. And it's like, nah, it just takes forever. It, it really it's does. It's a process. And yeah, it's, exactly, it's understanding yeah. that. But it's a good thing you're not, you know, you're not trying to play for the Cubs because then you're done, man. Yeah. You're, I'm uh, done. You know, we're the same age. And this uh, is yeah. like, oh, fuck, I, I can't be an athlete anymore. Yeah. I can play in the beer leagues maybe. But then there's another distraction from, from my writing. But that's yeah. a cool thing about being a writer or doing creative things. You know, maybe not being a cameraman or anything like that, but there's, you know, as long as you keep your mind sharp, you can right. be a writer for, you know, in your 80s. Forever. yeah. In 100, great. it just depends. Yeah. Um, you know, now we have the technology you can dictate. Yeah. So you don't even have to type. You, I mean, there's so much, but it's just a matter of, I think the biggest thing is sitting down and doing it. Yeah. And even if you don't know anything, um, then, uh, you know, another quote from, from a few podcasts ago, the guy said, you don't have to be great or... You don't have to be great to get started. You just have to start to be great. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love quotes. I've always been yeah, a yeah. fan of quotes. It's great. Um, uh, Eudora Welty said, everywhere you go, you meet part of your story, which is also like this idea. I think I love that. that. Yeah. Great. It's great. Like, I think once you make a commitment to do something, in, this is the advice I give everybody. If they're like, I want to write a book. You write a book. I want to write a book. Oh, you're a writer. I want to write a book. That sounds, I've always wanted to write, you know, I'm always like, and they're like, I'm going to start tomorrow. It's like, do under no circumstances should you fucking start tomorrow. Like, <laughs> Tomorrow's the busiest day for everybody. This guy, Sylvester, told me that as well. He's oh, yeah, yeah. That's great. I don't know if you made it up, but I'll attribute it to yeah. him. It's an amazing. And, and so the idea is that people struggle with that idea of how am I going to create in a long-term way? And if they do start tomorrow, they're going to have a great burst and they're going to write for two hours and they're going to get started. And the next day they're going to be like, oh shit, I forgot that I had my yoga class yeah. or I got this thing or I got to pick up my kid. Or, oh crap. Oh, I can't do it today. Well, okay. So tomorrow and then the next day, all this stuff. And the, what I say is like, start in three weeks and then start living your life every day and start really recognizing what your day is and like what fucks with you and like what time you actually get up and what time you actually go to bed and what places. Because after three weeks, you'll both have been thinking about the book and or whatever yeah. you're writing. And you are writing when you're not writing. That's the thing I so totally you, So you in. start writing, but your official your official date is the three weeks? Yeah. Like so that's you're when kind you of start building typing. up to that three weeks. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And then from that, and of course you can start earlier than that, yeah. but the idea of starting tomorrow is just a, it's a lie. Yeah. Like even if you type that, because there'll always be another tomorrow. There'll and always... so you know, it's just like I'm going to start today. Yeah. Even if that today is three weeks. Right. And, and we that, got some deep philosophical. We shit are getting right there, into man. it. That's yeah. awesome. Well, that idea that like we have to create the space in our lives to do the thing mm-hmm. we really yeah. want, and you realize how like that that takes sacrifice, but it also also takes declaring to the people around you like I'm going to be doing this. And I'm serious about this. And people go, at first they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if you, if you're serious about it, people go, oh shit, you're going to do it. Yeah. Like, okay, then I'm going to respect that and I'm going to help or I'm going to, you know. Yeah. And I think it's asking those whys, right. you know, ask a lot of whys. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Why, 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 why? Until you realize it. Yeah. Because if you're doing it for the money, I mean, uh, it's yeah, just like, yeah, it's just don't even start. You're going to bomb out pretty fast. Um, but, but yeah, if you're doing it for, and, and granted, that could come come down sure. the line that's great yeah. but do it because you love it or right. you want to communicate something or yeah. 
whatever that situation is. So yeah, definitely ask those whys. Yeah, yeah. So so then and then when you have that why, then it's just like you're I wouldn't say on autopilot, but it's it's a lot easier when you're passionate versus going for some exterior type motivation because that may never come. Yeah, and it, well, the thing about money that like I totally get the the idea like oh I've got a great story I'm gonna make. It's like that's not going to hold up seven months in when shit is hard and you got to fight your way through this. You're going to fight your way through it by being like, no, I really want to do this. Yeah. Like, and if this that gets you started, go right. for it. If that's yeah, a yeah. good motivator to get you started, then fall in love with <laughs> with what you're writing and the story yeah, yeah. and the characters. I mean, I think that was you know, my career in photography and film. It was always one of those things that I enjoyed watching and, and, and consuming and and then it was like, oh, I could do this. Or, hey, you know, these directors got this and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, you know, all those things that yeah. we think that's just all the pearly gate, all this, you know, all these shiny objects. But it's really not that. So it's, not but that. then I fell in love with the process and telling the story and seeing something when it was done. Oh, it's and amazing. it's just like, you know what? Did I make any money off that? No, you know, I, in fact, lost a lot of money off right. that. But <laughs> when I'm watching something and I feel like these hairs on the back of my neck, or I'm in tears because I'm watching a story of, you know, a guy that lost his son and he's trying to spread awareness of opiate addiction. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm watching that and I'm feeling something in my heart. It's like, yeah, I made the right decision. Yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't make a dime. But, right. you know, as far as uh, emotional capital or, you know, that whole situation, you know, my riches are well beyond yeah, the, yeah. this paper. You or Bitcoin if you're into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, like, what what is the value of a life and I guess that's a big motivator for me is like, what is going to be there when I'm on the last leg? And it's like, am I going to have something that I can point to? And I'll be like, wow, I fought my ass off and I, Mm -hmm. I believed in something and I got there. That's like a big thing for me. And I, I just, I don't know. And also by having fought for this stuff for such a long time, like now I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, like this is now I'm seeing the viability of my life as a writer and as a creative person. And I'm like, Oh, cool. Like, you know, I've got three film projects that are, you know, in different states. And I'm like, wow, like if that gets made, what is that, you know, like that the value of trying to create that is awesome. And the education you get Mm -hmm. when you're trying to do that, which then can translate into all this other stuff, you know, but but I think it's pretty incredible. And am I trying to win an Oscar with one of my films? Absolutely. Like, that's my goal. Yeah, shoot for it. Hell yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I have a friend in London and I was telling her at one point, I can't remember what I was talking about. Oh, I, I was talking about doing a one-man show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It's a it's a festival in, in Edinburgh, in Scotland, and people you can get a newcomer award if you're the if it's your first time doing it. And you know, and I I told her I was at a thing. I'm like, I think I'm going to put together a show called Illiterate about you know l- my place in the literary like history and all these facts and just like blend together this really weird story. Um, about literary history and my life as a creative and it, and the the point was that I needed the book to sell for me to have the ending and the book didn't sell and then I decided not to do it but when that was still a possibility um it sold the next year but when it was still a possibility I I was talking to her and I was like I'm going to do it and my goal is to win the the newcomer award and she was like that's ah, that's just so dumb that's so arrogant you can't can't expect that like there's thousands of people trying to win that mm-hmm. like and I was like no my, my girlfriend totally gets it. She's like, no, that's your goal, which means you're going to create and drive yourself to yeah. be that good. Yeah, no, g- great goal. And uh, but of course, 
love the work right. and yeah, yeah. enjoy the journey because right. if that if you don't win that if it's all based on that award if that's the yeah. sole purpose and you're you're, you're done yeah. and, and, and the then tr- you're crushed and right. this and that and also i know well enough that like setting that target is great because it gives me something to motivate me for the first x amount of percent of the project and then there's a certain point it's like when i tell people when they start writing books like once you get to page 50 you're fucked because you're going to write that book yeah. <laughs> like that's the great place <laughs> yeah. so try you know just every day try to get two pages try to get three pages, do whatever you can but once you're at page 50 you've written a book in a sense yeah. like you're on it's a it's a weird slope but you're on the down you're on the downside then because you can finish because you see it and you can and you can do it and it's like when you in that 50 pages literally might be 10 percent of the book by the time it's all said and done you might throw most of it out you might you know that might represent one percent but that promise is really important and so the promise of doing something like wanting to win the oscar i mean it's like that's insane but at the same time like i get up i'm like i have to write the scene better and we have to like we want to get vigo mortensen to do it so like we nice. need to make this yeah. that much better for this character and we have access to him and we know it's like so fucking let's crunch down and like really get into it and that i don't know that's kind of like motivation is interesting and you can find it in the smallest places and wherever yeah. you find it fucking jump on it and take it and like write it as and hard don't as you wait. can yeah because i've wait. done that before where i've been like stoked i have yeah. an idea and i'm like you know what i'm gonna go to sleep now and i'll write this in the morning yeah. big mistake <laughs> like dumbass yeah. you should have stayed up an extra two hours yeah, get yeah. it all out so i've, I've changed my ways yeah. and hashtag vigo morganson we're gonna uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Hashtag we, vigo mentioned him, we mentioned him yeah um but yeah, looking at that, and I, I look at it some ways, you know, more, I bicycle. Oh, yeah. So with that, um, I think that analogy of what you said with the, with the coasting, like riding a bicycle. So there's times you're going to be on an upward slope. You don't necessarily know it's an upward slope because it's a thin grade, but right. you're going to have to pedal a little harder. And there's times when you hit a downward slope, there's other times where you're climbing that hill and yeah. you're out of the saddle and you're <laughs> grinding it and your heart's beating and this and that. So, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, you know, you just um, spurred that analogy. I'm going to have to, uh, I may write a book, like a self-help type thing right. at one point, just knowledge and, and things that I've learned. And this podcast is essentially my journal for that. So yeah. it's just like, you know what? I'm going to have to come back and listen to this. And then when I edit it, I'll write that note down, bicycling and my analogy. And shit, I have a I have a chapter there. Yeah. So why not use it? Um, hashtag Tour de France, you know, yeah, you it's, it's yeah. coming together. <laughs> yeah. No, this is cool, man. No, yeah. I'm really, really stoked. And it's, and that's a cool thing about conversations is, is you never know who you're talking to, where it's going to bring out something in yourself that you just know nothing of. So I think that's why one, you know, another quote is never be the smartest person in the room. Oh yeah. So then, that's yeah, then you have people that are inspiring you and pulling things out. Um, there's another one I'm going to put in the book. Now, now that I'm talking about this, I'm yeah. going to have to do it. And right. you're going to hold yeah, it yeah. Can. How's that book coming? No, I'm a lazy ass. Like I'm starting in three weeks. I'm starting in three yeah. weeks. Yeah, three weeks, man. Uh, yeah. But uh, now I'm just going to sit down and do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what else, man? So um, and we've talked about some great things. I had all these notes from last night, but don't really need them. So no. screenwriting, how do you, um, did, was it something you originally wanted to get into before novel writing? Or is it something you just fell into living in L.A.? Or how, how'd that come about? Yeah, it's a weird thing. I moved to L.A. seven years ago from Paris. I'd, I'd lived between basically San Francisco, New York, San Francisco, New York. Then I moved to Paris. Uh, for a relationship that broke up stayed in Paris an extra seven months and then uh, one night I decided to move to Berlin and then one night I got home and I'd been drinking wine and I was like why am I 
moving to Berlin. I think I'm running away from something and whatever. And then uh, I checked flights and I bought a ticket to LA, one-way ticket. And I was like, I sat back. It was like three in the morning, with a lot of wine. And I was like, huh, I guess I'm moving to LA. And uh, that was one of the best things I could have ever done. And uh, when I got there, you know, I'm like, I'm a writer. I do literary deathmatch. My goal is to get literary deathmatch on TV. If you're out there and you want to move to L.A., one rule, and this is the hardest and fastest rule I can give you, is do not move to L.A. unless you have a project. If you have a project, go. I made that mistake, yeah. Oh, you did, yeah. Yeah, But keep going. It's a whole other story. Yeah, and uh, so... I went there and so I was always talking about literary deathmatch and then like was doing it on on stage at Largo and that's where Sarah Silverman and Pat Oswalt do monthly shows like it was the best thing ever getting in there and um, and you know we got close and during that time I was writing rewriting this book collision theory and then there was just a point where I was like oh, I could write a screenplay like I'm a writer so I could just write a screenplay and I'd had this book uh, that I'd written called murder Nevada which I um, I, I wanted to publish, but it like it needed work. But I knew the the third act was just its own standalone thing, and I love the story. And it's basically about a guy whose son has died in a car accident, um, and he feels it's his fault. And then he meets a woman who's dying of terminal brain cancer. So that's the third act. Um, the book it deals with like this guy getting to New York to to meet this girl. Um, and so I pulled out the third act, and I was like. I, it's literally written so dialogue heavy. This is going to be easy. I'll just adapt it. Like, this is going to be the best. So I got final draft, typed it in, finished. It was 40 pages long. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it needs to be 88 pages minimum. Like, it's not 20, so I'm close enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, here we go. And, like, I worked on that and uh, worked on that and expanded it and then would put changes back into the book and then, you know... And uh, finally, I turned it into a 90-page screenplay, and, like, that had taken a year. But I was just like, this is really good, you know? And it's nice. because that dialogue in the novel was, yeah. was, like, I'd refine that and refine that. So so it came on pretty strong. And um, so then I had the screenplay called Hold Me, Don't Touch Me, and I started telling people about that. And then people were reading it, and uh, I had a producer that was like, we want to make it. We're going to raise a million dollars to make it. I was like, cool. I didn't really understand anything at that point, but I was like, go nuts. Um, and then they didn't get the funding. They tried to get it for the Fruitvale station guy. And he was like, you know, I'd like it, but it needs three changes. And they sent me those changes. And I was like, two of these are amazing. I'm doing them. The other one is bullshit. And they're like, wow, you're so open to editing your stuff. Like, how cool. And I was like, yeah, of course. And so I made those changes. And they, they didn't end up making it, but it created a great relationship. But also the most important thing was I was like, oh, I've now written a screenplay like that was viable enough for somebody to read and be like, okay, this is cheap indie Mm -hmm. movie. Let's do this. Um, And hopefully that ends up getting made at some point. But then through that, I was just like in that world now. Then I was like, oh, I can write a TV show. What, What else do I have that doesn't fit any other format? And then that sort of launched me doing this stuff. Well, that's one thing with notes as well. It may not resonate at first. And that was a cinematographer friend of mine from Mexico City. She had um, given me a note on one of my screenplays. And I was thinking like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't that doesn't quite work. Yeah. But then I was on a flight back from San Francisco and just, you know, typing and thinking, thinking about it. And I was like, that's brilliant because it really and I got to remember the note, but it was something that brought to, you know, it was like this character had never stood up for himself. And then finally, the time he does, he gets in trouble. 
And so I had like, you know, he's living in a fantasy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so the whole time I, I had a fantasy scene and she's like, yeah, that doesn't really work. And it was like a whole Ric Flair type thing oh, yeah. and all that. And she's like, yeah, you know, how about this is simple, very simple note. And I thought about it and it was like, oh my God, the psychology of it. Right. He finally stands up and he gets in trouble. That's now, great, by the way. Now his mom's uh, degenerate boyfriend uh, is like, "Oh, I'm proud of you, man. Oh, you, you know, blah blah blah, and you kicked that, out. whatever yeah. the situation was." And, um, but yeah, it was like this turning point, and I was like, "Holy cow, he actually does something!" And then he, then it's, I mean, psychologically, what does that do to you as a kid? I finally yeah. stood up for myself. They're not beating my ass and this anymore. And uh, and now, yeah, now I'm the bad guy. Right. When, look what this person was doing to me beforehand. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So now I got to get back to that screenplay as well. I love that. Have you seen Glow on Netflix? I have not. It's fucking great, man. I love it. I think it's, I think, I, I abandoned wrestling when I was like maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe as late yeah, as... I'm not really fully into it, but enough to yeah. create some content around it. Yeah. I like it enough. That, that world is a fascinating Ugh, world. It's fascinating. And and you've got like the wrestler, you've got, you know, you've got the like hardcore scary stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I don't even know what's on the other, I guess just the WWE, but um, the glamour of it. But like Glow is incredible. It's gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And it... I just love it. It's it was such on a, the same channel that the Cubs were on back in the day, like in central Illinois when I was camping with my parents. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that show. Maybe WGN. Huh? Yeah. It's Gingy Cohen who did uh, Orange is the New Black. Oh, wow. And, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah. And uh, Mark Maron's on it. And he just he's an amazing character. Hell yeah. Yeah. Allison Brie is exceptional. And the writing is just so strong. And, and what it does so well is it brings you in through character. And then when there's like the wrestling stuff. You get, you know, you go through those emotional highs, that like almost stand up and cheer thing that the WWE, WWF when I was a kid, like that thing happens. And it's just, it's really quite extraordinary, like that emotional thing that, that it brings out. So yeah, yeah, you might want to check it out. I worked for this, uh, I did some videos for this indie group and granted at the time the technology wasn't great and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm killing it. But I watched this guy at this frat house show and when they were chanting his name, his name was Too Tough Tony. And... (laughs) The look in his eyes, you know, that like just getting that he was absorbing that adulation. And yeah. and uh, it was just like I knew right there, like this is, you know, why he's bruising and battering his body and just doing things that's just crazy. Yeah. But that look in his eyes right there, he knew. And that's where I'm good with, I think, the psychology of the things, the emotion. And maybe that's why And I'm a recovering perfectionist. So looking at that, a lot of times I don't start something because it's not right right at that moment right. or in my head it's not clear and like yeah, yeah. Oh, that's bad everybody out there listening that's bad just yeah. write it because you're going to rework it so just get it done but uh go, go ahead you have a thought and then i'll continue yeah. mine well i wondered like what state is that screen have you finished at least a draft or what, what's the uh, state the, of the wrestling screenplay okay yeah. i have a draft okay, good. um but definitely needs to par down uh, right. i'm gonna get rid of a lot of characters I'm going to make a stronger female presence yeah, uh, in that a female character, bodybuilder type, so that person's misunderstood. Right. Um, and then, um, yeah, just switch things up a little bit. And there's a lot of little gimmicks I need to get rid of and just get to the heart of it, which yeah. now that I better understand myself, I think I'll better understand the characters. But for me, I think I'm a better I'm a better plot guy. And, hey, if this happens, that conveys this emotion dialogue i need to work on or find a writing partner with that but um but you know it's good to know your strengths as well 
Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's interesting. I've I've just read two Friends scripts, and uh, and I was just meeting with my friend yesterday, who's written a novel that was rejected, but pe- agents want to see a revision of it, and it's kind of amazing because once you have a draft, you can speak about it, and then you can talk to people just a. You can literally walk people through the beats. That's something I'll do is literally write every scene and then just like what happens and just yeah. read that. Do you be outline like, before you write? Uh, as much as I can now. Okay, I didn't good. used to. I didn't either. And it's Ugh. the greatest thing ever. It's the greatest thing ever. And, <laughs> and I know that like people are out there. They're going to be like, I can't outline. It'll screw up my creativity. Yeah. Like, I just want to write, man. I want to yeah. that flow. Outline. Outline like Enjoy crazy. it. Enjoy yeah. it. Because when I wrote uh, the script with the kid, it's called The Dragon Within. Um, that, it was for a class. I outlined it, and the writing was so easy. It it's was so, so easy because I had my plot points. I knew right. what was going to happen. And it's just like I kicked that out in three months. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't, um, you know, I'm not bragging by any means, but this is a good thing. It's just like, dude, you don't have to overanalyze this. Is I, I knocked it out, and it wasn't like I was killing myself. I'd right. have a couple hours here, a couple yeah, yeah. hours there. Because of that outline, it, it made it. Yeah. Now, it, ha- it needs work. Of course, it's 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 pretty close, but right. I, that's why I need notes. But uh, I just like on a whim threw it into the uh, Austin uh, Screenwriters Conference, oh, yeah. and I went to the second round, and it's like, man, you know, okay, I've got something here. Yeah, I just yeah. need to focus a little more and better discipline because if I can do that, you know, that's a nice step. Yeah. Without you know, you know, it's without overthinking it and very reasonable amount of time. Then, then you know, there's something there. Yeah, yeah, something. So. Yeah, and I think uh, that here's what I'll say about outlining is what I realized writing Collision Theory and when I'm working on this new book that's called Superhero is like when I'm struggling, when I'm tired, when I'm really not into it. Basically, what happens when I sit down at my keyboard? I'll just go. I'm just gonna have this thing happen because I'm bored or I'm tired and I don't want to be writing. And that decision could cost me literally a month or two of like correcting it or or justifying it throughout the whole book but because i have an outline i go wait can i do that and i go no you have to fucking plot on with this chapter that you're just tired of and whatever and that is the greatest possible thing i could be doing because ultimately once i start typing then i start getting into it and i'm like oh yeah oh right yeah this is right plus it feels fucking great and like oh and this is the right i'm swimming (laughs) i'm swimming downstream and like this is it and like figure out what I have to do within that chapter to to compel me and and with with my current novel like I it's fifty four chapters the first act is uh, six chapters each for each th- of the three characters then it's eight chapters each in the second act and then four chapters in the third act and like I only outline co- because of film stuff because you realize like thematically what you're hitting like what the characters are doing and then when you outline you're like oh this you know, this is, this needs to be more here, this here or whatever. And, and as I've been writing it, it's sometimes I, I change, I divert from the plan and then I go, okay, now I have to change the outline, which is fine. But at least I like, I'm structuring this whole story, Mm -hmm. which, and that's why this book is heavily influenced by Harry Potter because I'm like, no, you got to like do something massive, do something with lots of characters and do something that you are just like not even equipped for that you and I'm finding that I actually am equipped for that I'm like no I've got this like I've learned all this shit and like and it's coming to pass but through outlining it is already saving me so much time and it is it's hard because some days like I said I just I'm not really into it but what I'm learning is when I'm not into it I just try to spark my brain with wild Mm -hmm. like curveballs and that's just you know that's a cool thing with the outline I mean you can do it in such a way where if you have 
pieces of dialogue that you think work. Um, this this things that are random things that if ten years ago I wrote in my journal this piece of dialogue this could work for this yeah. character. You throw it in there and uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah. It's just you know you have this toolbox and there's just a lot to tap into. Yeah, I t- I have a notes file that I just like throw links and you know just podcast links and little ideas or whatever and that thing i may never read more than 10 percent of that entire file but it also relaxes me and tells Mm -hmm. me like okay it's somewhere so you you know you don't have to worry and it just relaxes me and lets me go forward or or it's it's a pool where you if you have an assistant or your girlfriend you're like you know what she looks through there and like whoa here this is great for this yeah so i think that's where even though writing is an isolated thing which has always thrown me off at times but, um, you know, there are elements where you can, I mean, just, just conversation, I'm getting, you know, just really inspired. Good. So it's like, all right, I need to jump on the screenplay or reach out to other people and have some people read it where okay. I kind of thought like, all right, this friend of mine hasn't, he said he's going to give me notes many times, hasn't. All right, I'm going to reach out again because I may yeah. catch him at the right time. Yeah. Um, not take it personally by any means, but, uh. You just you just stop asking at some point. You're like, all right, right you're yeah, never yeah. gonna give me notes. But well, I think what's important too is like, while because you can wait a year to get like to move something on because you're relying on somebody else to give you something. Yeah. But also in that year, you can it could be three months, six months. But yeah. you can also go, oh, actually, like I don't like I forgot about this. So let me read it fresh exactly. and then you can change stuff. And it's like, oh, that's yeah. what I need to be doing. And yeah. and, and I, fresh is I, you got to see it fresh. Yeah. So taking that so time helpful. away sometimes is the best thing yeah, ever. Yeah. It's great. And you also become less precious and and then this idea I'm I'm a big fan of like I said just literally lining up the beats and just typing in like scene 1 dude gets out of his car and goes to get a coffee. Scene 2 like spills coffee on himself in car is angry. You know, and like mm-hmm. if you write all those then you start to see like oh that tonally this feels weird or the scene I don't think I need the scene like or what am I really trying to do? I don't know. That that helps me because it just shortcuts the entire thing, so you can see it quickly. Yeah. But um. But yeah, there's it is. It's an incredible process to create something that's actually airtight and finished because it fucking takes forever. But but you yeah, it, just feeling it and then getting notes is hugely helpful. I'm getting notes on a script, my Christmas script right now from a friend. He just read the first 15 pages, and he's basically like, take the first scene and the second scene put those together like however you need to put them together because you're you're hitting the exact same beats a second time and it's not necessary and i'm like oh wow and he's like and when he leaves the house like make it because the dad is being is basically like kicking him out Mm -hmm. and he's like packing up his stuff like screw screw dad (laughs) so then later when they come together in this really powerful way then that's like they're both conceding something and they're like realizing they both were wrong in different ways and i'm just like fuck, I, I did not see, like, I could not see that. Yeah. And and it's totally fine. This screenplay I started in 2014 with a friend who's a musician. He basically created the story because I was, just a week before he had emailed me, I had this idea, uh, I, not an idea. I, I thought, you know, I'd really like to do a Christmas something. And I remember sitting back and sort of just sitting there and like, I think I gave it probably a minute, but in my mind it's like 10 minutes and I just go, no, I don't have anything. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, back to whatever you're doing. But then a week later, he emailed me. He's like, I've got this story for this Christmas idea. Can we talk about it? I'd like to write it with you. And I was like, oh, cool. Let's hear what yeah. you say. And and it was an amazing idea. And then we wrote it together. And that was before I really understood outlining or how to do stuff. And, uh, you know, it had Palestine, Israeli stuff going on. Like it was about um, capitalism and all. And it was it was like a really lovely mess. Yeah. 
and I did a screen. I did a read. I don't know if you do table reads with people, but just try to. Get, I have, like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, the best because a people will give you notes live, and you know, and and a, we did a table read um, with like I don't know six or seven actors and whatever, and I was laughing my ass off the whole time because I'd never written a straight comedy, and this was a straight comedy, and I loved it. But then at the end, like people gave me a shit ton of notes, and he was just like. I, I'm a musician. Like I can work on a three minute song for a couple weeks, but that's it. Like this sounds like a huge process. And so I picked that up, uh, you know, last year. And then I was like, all right, let's fucking, but I that's cool. It. Sometimes planting that seed and then you, yeah, yeah. and you, you water it, you nurture it, you put the, uh, you know, all the, all the nutrients and all that. And yeah. then it's, it's good, man. Yeah. It's good. And then, you know, it's, that person can eat a tomato and uh, right. at some point, but you know, it's good because they, provide it you know they helped you get started yeah yeah and that's great and and one thing with notes that i would give you know anybody that's that's doing this that maybe doesn't know and and it's good you know i think the best notes are from people that have an understanding of the process now you can get notes from family and friends that's great but for the most part family and friends are going to love everything you write yeah for, i mean for the most part yeah. or they're going to be proud of you or it's going to be right. skewed yeah yeah uh, they may not love it yeah. um but um but it's one of those things that you're not going to get that objective look into it. Yeah. Um, but on, on, that, on that note, if uh, you sent it to three professional people or three writers and then you have and, and those family members are saying the same thing that those writers are like, oh, this character is wooden or blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, or whatever they use or this doesn't seem right or feel original or how are this whatever. Then you know, okay, yeah, yeah. I need to change it because you may be in love with that. Like, oh, that's gonna, this is the greatest. I can't get rid of that. But yeah. it's like, wait, all these pros and my family are like, eh, they're not really feeling it. Right. And you're like, yep, yeah, back to the drawing board yeah, yeah. and figure that out. I think the one, one of the most important things I've learned and that I'm good at, and I don't, I, I don't know, it's because my parents love me or because, whatever. But like, I've been good at taking criticism, and it's the key is. Is basically shut your mouth and say, "Oh, cool, thanks." Oh, I didn't think of that. Like that's pretty much what you say, even if you know it. I'm trying to teach right. my niece and nephew this. Don't say, "I know." Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, you can say, "You know, thank you for that reminder" or right. something like that. So yeah, then you're yeah. saying, "Yeah, I thought about that too." Thank you for pointing that out because yeah. that, you know, that that gives me validation and, right. and my instincts. So yeah, totally good, good advice. Yeah, and I remember like one thing that I've learned about getting feedback is if I know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. I have to fix it before I give it to somebody because otherwise I am like, oh, I already know that. Or I'm going to change that. Oh, I already. It's like, well, then you're wasting everybody's time. And True. even if you want to yeah. hurry up and get it read, like to take that time to, to go, you know what? I know this is wrong. I'm just going to, it's going to take a week. It's going to take two weeks. But because then when you don't know <laughs> what's wrong with it and you're just like, this is the best I can do. Here you go. That's a, that's the best position you're going to be in because you when they say yeah this caring I just didn't oh, this wasn't and then you go wow okay that's how somebody else is receiving this and yeah I love getting feedback from all kinds of people because I'm just like anything you, you do find over time you find your like core group that you know like gets it but yeah it's I don't know it's it's a cool process but just the ability to shut up and be like okay I'm listening and it'll bum you out and it'll make you mad and you're like oh, fuck but you just can't take it personally because ultimately, and this speaks to collision theory too, is this idea that once the book slash movie, what, once it starts getting beyond your control, you have, like, it has to be good enough that nobody's going to dismiss it or just go, because yeah, there's like, I'm telling you to watch glow. You don't have time to read my book now, but like, Oh, I'm reading your yeah, book. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> That's a given. But like the, com the competing efforts to like 
the competing attention, your email, like the stack of books on your shelf, like all the TV shows, the films, like going to the store, just sitting around and staring at the ceiling because you're exhausted from all the stuff you have to do. Like those are all competing. So the idea of when you create something, it just has to be the best thing you can ever do. And that might, it might not want to pull a surprise, but like that has, who cares? That's objective and weird anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just like. Prizes for art. How do you, Oscar would be great, but then again, you know, it's how do you, it's not like I ran that race faster than you. So right. it's so subjective. So you can't yeah. get too caught up in that. Yeah. yeah. The Grammys, any of that kind of thing. Right. Which awesome, we're, we're going to win a Grammy. I feel like, yeah. I mean, wouldn't we? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Do they have, maybe they have they Grammys. Have spoken for, word. Oh, would this count as spoken word? I don't think this will count, but I think we'll, There's so gonna we're going to have something. to do something else. <laughs> this has been fun, man. I'm enjoying it. And, uh, I think it's time to wrap it up because I know we can talk sure. probably for another two or three or yeah. four hours, but we're just going to have to do it again because yeah. I would love to catch up on pop culture and just sure. different things and see how, like the comics we were reading back in the day, what, you know, just, just that's a whole nother yeah. realm, which I think it's calls, you know, for its own particular, um, you know, podcast or its own space. Hopefully a, uh, a movie gets made or, you know, hopefully something else I do gets made and then I'll have an excuse to come Yeah, or no excuse. Awesome. We'll just do it for yeah, a fun we'll conversation, fun. Yeah. but um, we'll continue to promote whatever else you're doing or whatnot. Yeah. Or, you know, we didn't talk much about uh, literary deathmatch, so we can, uh, we can give that its own space. Yeah. And I'm just going to plug that because I enjoyed the, um, Oh, now I can't even think the what's the reader uh, the book reviews literary deathmatch book reviews that you had the one star Amazon reviews is that the one you're thinking no no of? no 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 the um oh that's maybe oh a the different LDM thing. book report on book the report YouTube. yeah see yeah. yeah see the difference Just of a word review report but yeah. the book reports those were fun thanks yeah it was like I was watching those last night as I was editing another podcast as I was just doing like my hashtags yeah, yeah. and promotion and thing like that. That those yeah those are on YouTube. If you just I think if you put LDM book report or literary deathmatch book report, um, yeah those basically it's last week tonight meets books I guess it's is great, how we describe it. But it was really it's before f- its time maybe. Yeah, it's definitely before slash ahead slash exactly yeah. at its time. But it, we've got like twenty more that we could do. It's just my friend had a second baby, so he's all busy. But they're really yeah just trying to make literature fun and accessible and yeah. like give it i don't know it's fun i, I hope love people it. watch it yeah thanks. i love it so where can uh where can everybody find out more about you find your book all those good things yeah adrian toddzaniga.com i have a website look at me uh literary deathmatch.com at at zaniga on twitter say hello i'm pretty accessible there at lit deathmatch is another twitter instagram all that stuff but googling my name adrian toddzaniga also works z-u-n-i-g-a if you're curious i'm sure they're, they're looking at their iphone right now being like yeah just go to the right show here. page because i hope you're uh, listening yeah. to this while you're driving other things like that so yeah, don't yeah. worry about writing it down i'll include all those yeah, links yeah. even and better follow us on uh the twitter and uh the facebook the and insta you do some insta or whatever yeah, yeah. what are the kids are saying these days <laughs> but yeah no it's it's good just if, if you like what you're seeing you know make some comments on that youtube page when you yeah. when you watch it because that's just how this stuff works. So if you really enjoy something a creative person that you respect is doing, then that's what it takes to help them continue to do more of that great work. So there's there's my plug on that regard. And yeah. then they'll get the conversation going, and that'll help your work. So it's you give that energy. It's a circle, and it comes back, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and to, speaking about like speaking of the book itself, it's an interesting process because if you it was done by an independent publisher. And, you know, there have been books that have been done by any publishers and went on to win the Pulitzer Prize. So that's pretty cool. I mean, again, that's not my goal. For my next book, it is. 
But, uh, but yeah, like buying the book, if you go to Amazon, you can get it. But if you go to IndieBound.org, that's where I send people to. And I pay. don't know this. This is yeah. great. It's great. It's like, it's a website that you order, you, you find the book. Collision Theory by Adrian Tadzaniga, ideally, but any book. Is a purple cover just in case there's another Collision Theory? That's true. By another Adrian, Adrian Tadzaniga. Yeah. I mean, what, what would be the chance? <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you go there, then basically you it, it links you to buy it from your local bookstore. So what's interesting about being with an independent publisher and being a debut novelist is like when you order from Amazon, I just become a series of ones and zeros and nobody ever knows I exist. And if you sell a billion of them, then they care. But when it comes to something, I'm just an algorithm, but IndieBound, if you buy from there, then the independent bookstore, actually, they know, and they are like, okay, people are interested in this book. Okay. And so that actually has a different impact. And if you buy from an independent bookstore, you're keeping that bookstore alive. It's like a really amazing thing that like Amazon's great in all the ways that it's great and also poisoning our society in all the ways that it is. But going to independent bookstores and that's why indiebound.org is such a cool thing and and if by buying my book like you're making my publisher go like okay we made a right decision you're making future publishers go okay this guy has something to say like and he's viable like it's a really interesting economy and like how these things work but but yeah and also indiebound like those bookstores will then go okay this guy is cool let's put him at the front of the store instead of mm-hmm. in the z section yeah, where, exactly. where nobody know, goes right, the z exactly. they just, they've run out after the w's they're uh-huh. like all right i'm good but yeah <laughs> urban welsh but yeah. you, do you find i mean the how because some people might say well i could save four bucks on amazon if you if you want it, if you need to save four bucks and you want the book like absolutely because yeah. you will you'll save i think on amazon prime it's 14.37 or something and if you buy on indiebound you pay 18.95 but actually, Left Bank Books in St. Louis, they have a 99 shipping everywhere. 99 oh, cents shipping know, everywhere. Okay. Yeah, you told me that last night. And that is like that is such an important store for the St. Louis community. And that's really cool. Bang from St. Louis is like, it's interesting to find that out and try to to tell people to get it there too. But yeah, and I, I bought mean, it there last night. So yeah. hopefully, and I have a just wonderful, you scrawled uh, many things in there, scrawled. Yeah. I mean, scrawled. my English is, yeah. I'm like from the Mike Shannon school of English for all you <laughs> Cardinals fans. I'm just, yeah, I'm not the brightest guy, but I'm pretty smart. Right. Yeah. The, the, actually we sold so many books there last night that they're going to order more and they were like, Oh, this is awesome. Like they saw me then as the viable person that, you know, it's fantastic. It's cool. I love it. Yeah. So, well, and my brother stuff, bought man. seven books. It seems like, excessive i, I know I, I cut the line because i saw him with yeah, the seven yeah. books and i saw how you were taking this great amount of time for each person you put a, an amazing book quote in there you you know you personalize it you had this wonderful signature and it was like oh man i cannot uh yeah, i no, cannot be behind this guy because i'm gonna be here for like the next day and hour half. Yeah. yeah day and a half it's but, crazy hey it's so good to reconnect with you yeah, this was awesome. this was a blast this is um you know, I can't, I love each and every one of the podcasts, but this one, I have such a great feeling. So cool. each one is like your kid or what you write or all that. So it's nice, but, uh, we will surely do this again and yeah, uh, sure. reach out anything I can do to help spread the message and, you know, help you continue to create more things. That would be, yeah. you know, happy I to read to do one of these so. scripts. I'm, I, I'm, I'm curious about the, the wrestling script. That seems okay. like my that jam. one, that one, I'll end on this note. Uh, I'm going to put more work into before I have you read it. I made the mistake. I had an opportunity where somebody at ICM was willing to read it. And right. I think somebody at Weinstein back in the day before they were the worst the people at Weinstein, <laughs> you know, so I had these opportunities and I wasn't ready. So I'm going to end on that note that, that's why you need to work it so it's great because you may have that one opportunity 
And then they read it and they go, this guy's work is crap. And then it, you never get that opportunity again. I, I think I've done enough where I'll be okay. And I rewrite it. It was an important life lesson. Yeah, yeah. But it's one that I tell other people. And fortunately, the people you had talked about being kind and genuine, the guy I sent it to worked at ICM. He's a lawyer. He's from Missouri. So he gave me a great note back. But then I eventually learned, like, it was not ready. Yeah. And so, you know, I could have completely burned myself. Um, so all these great tips, and I'll have to put it together. But thank you so much, yeah, man. of course. See you again. All right, buddy. Baby, you're lost. Baby, you're lost. Baby, you're lost. Tired of fighting, tired of fighting, fighting for love.